Hello and welcome to the Learnability Show. At a time when machines are getting more and more intelligent, what about us human beings? How can we continue to live and contribute meaningfully? How can we develop our careers and coach our staff to be better prepared for the future? And how can we nurture our own sense of wholeness so that we create wholeness in the world around us? To answer these questions and many more, today we're talking to Wendy Tan, an entrepreneur, author and speaker based in Singapore, who's an expert on future skills and learning agility. She's also the co-founder of Future Skills Institute, Flame Center, and creator of the portal Develop for Life. So, can we please have a big warm welcome for Wendy Tan. Hello, Wendy. Hi, Ian. It's great to have you on the show. Hello from Barcelona to Singapore. And I'd like to start, I was I was going to ask, a, a, prepare the first question for you. And actually, I found on your website a wonderful question, uh, which I'm going to start with, okay? And I'm just reading from your website here. It says, with the fourth industrial age and digital disruption perpetually changing the way we live and interact, our century demands different competencies and skills to stay relevant and to win in the marketplace. How can we as humans accelerate our learning? What's your answer to that? Wow, thank you so much, Ian, for picking up this question that I've been very much absorbed in thinking about and so much so that I spent the last four years in my doctoral uh, research finding the answers to this question. Right. So, you know, for the longest time in our parents' generation, they could probably have, you know, developed as what we call the T professional with the transferable horizontal skills like communication skills, like leadership skills, you know, good skills that we use in all situations. And then with one area of uh, functional depth, functional expertise. It could be human resource, could be IT, could be finance. And then they could pretty much journey like that, what, 40 something years in our lives. Yeah, but now with all of these changing, um, this T professional is, in my view, no longer sufficient. And that, you know, it's uh, it's time for us to consider move shifting from a T professional to an M professional. Yeah, and, and when we say M, we mean like with multiple functional depth. And, you know, it seems like for the, the conventional thinking is that it takes a long time to gain mastery. But I think in today's times where we have so much easy access to content, you know, whether it's Google, whether it is uh, Udemy, LinkedIn Learning, um, Master. I think, what, what is it called? Master? There's a, there's a series called Master something. I think it's Masterclass. Yes, correct. Thank you so much. Masterclass, right? So it makes it, um, we have such easy access to expertise, to content these days that, you know, we can, you know, really accelerate our learning uh, from a T, you know, with one functional depth to multiple functional depths. So, so my research is all about how we can journey in this, um, 
in today's disruptive age, how we can uh, increase our learning productivity. Um, yeah, and, and really make that shift from to be, you know, in, in, in my words, I call it as a polymath so that we are not just limited by one area of expertise, but we can develop multiple areas over our lifetime. That's a great explanation in theory. In practical terms, how does that work? Yes, thank you. In practical terms, number one is be clear about what we want to learn at this point in time. So instead of like trying to learn different things, focus on one or two areas. And number two, in practical terms as well, um, when you want to learn something, don't just go take a course. Yeah, but really to sit back and to, and to think about how we are going to learn. So develop our learning strategy. So this, uh, in, the, in the, the technical term for that is meta-learning, learning about how we are learning. And I, in my research, I find that many people, when we want to learn something, in fact, I just did this on my uh, LinkedIn post last week, and I asked people, if you're, want, if you're going to learn a skill, what would you do? Maybe this is my turn to quiz you, Ian. <laughs> <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. <laughs> So imagine that you are you are wanting to learn a skill, right? Four options. First option is to Google and uh, Google an article, a video, a podcast, right? Number two is to talk to an expert, and number three is to attend a workshop, right? Could be an online, could be a physical workshop, and number four is to plan your learning strategy. What would be the first thing you would do? Okay. I have to confess, the first thing that I would do is use my favorite go-to learning method, which I call YouTube University. I find that on YouTube, there's a wealth of information. But having said that, once I've done some basic research, then my next step would be to plan out a learning strategy. Because we're in the summer, I set myself a learning challenge each year. And this summer, I'm learning the guitar. In fact, I have my guitar that I've, uh, that I've acquired just here next to me. And the first thing that I did was to get onto YouTube and look up videos on how to start learning the guitar. And then after that, I planned it out. Uh, I've, I've got my guitar learning app. I've got my sessions written out. Um, I have conversations with a couple of other people I know that play guitars and it's, it's going, <laughs> I mean, people that listen to me play would say it's going pretty badly, but I'm very pleased with my progress so far. But I suppose that the, the main thing for me is to have a learning strategy. Great. Thank you. Thank you. So you are the learnability man, right? <laughs> so yeah, so in the poll that I did on LinkedIn, only 10% chose to uh, devise their learning strategy. Yeah, the far majority, I think 60-something percent, chose uh, Google. Google, like, um, yeah, for videos or articles. Yeah, and so, so I totally appreciate your approach where you are Googling to find out these resources and then you put together your learning strategy which I think most people don't do. 
uh, most people they will Google, they will find out a few things, and then and then we get busy, we get pulled into work or into our into our into our life, our family commitments, and then our learning becomes like the stuttering old train running out of energy. We start and we stop. We start and we stop. So over time, the learning productivity is not as uh, not as high. Right. So coming up with a learning strategy is definitely one of the practical things that we could do. And to add to that, uh, the third thing we could do, so this is one of the people that I uh, interviewed. So he is uh, an, an expert in, uh, con- he's a consultant in uh, management practices. And he was challenging himself to learn saxophone. So the way he did it, was one of the first thing he did was to announce to all his friends and community that in six months time, I'm going to have a concert. Yeah, it could be, that doesn't need to be a big scale concert, but just with friends and, you know, jamming together. So I would love to hear your guitar concert in six months time. <laughs> so, yes. <laughs> Yeah. So would so would I. So would yeah, I. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, and and the, the, the reason why he does that is you know um, coming back to the you know what's something practical that we can do is when we are learning something we want to set up the context because our learning motivation will peak and wane right and it, and we all been through that but if we set up our playground, so I call this the playground for our learning. So for this gentleman, he set up the competition, right? And so so, so even when he is not so motivated, he is like, you know, not, not putting in his as much effort because he knows that he has announced this competition to his friends. So that pulls him along. So that over time, six months later, even if he's just a little bit better than where he started, you know, it helps him to stay on course in his um, in his learning. So that is, you know, creating the playground is something very practical that we all need to do. And I, I would argue that you want to create the playground even before you go on any course. You want to know how you're going to use this skill before you attend any workshop. I love your example about the saxophone because the idea of performing a concert is a very clear, specific and measurable goal to go for. But one of the challenges that I come across quite often is when you have people learning soft skills, for instance, like leadership, how does somebody who is trying to improve their leadership set a concrete goal what do you have in that sort of situation where it's not so easy to define yeah thanks for the question so in my interviews there's like leadership skills uh, learning coaching skills even some technical skills like data analytics right so i think my my point is about creating that playground so if if somebody is learning leadership skills so be sure that you are in formal or informal leadership situations. Uh, You could be a team project, you could be a mentor to someone. So get yourself into into uh, this playground where you have to to show up as a leader or use your leadership skills. So in addition to that, the other practical learning strategy is really to create multiple um, feedback structures. 
So if I were learning, if I'm learning leadership skills, I'll probably have a coach or, uh, or the, the coach could be somebody in my team who observes me. Um, yeah. And uh, I would probably have somebody who I look up to as a coach uh, or rather as a, as a leader and get his or her you know, feedback along the, along the journey. So in setting up this playground, then I also have uh, feedback sources. I also have experts guiding me. You clearly know what you're talking about, but just to establish your credibility even more, you said that you've done or you're doing a PhD on this subject. I'm very, very, very relieved <laughs> to, to share that um, just about last, in May, in May, I did my oral defense, so I've cleared it. And I've spent about four, four, five years to to research. So I interviewed 25 career switches, people who had to learn new skills in their career progression or their career transition. I've also done a quantitative survey with about 340 um, working professionals to identify the predictors um, of uh, learning agility. And finally, I did some uh, case studies, multiple case studies, looking at the top 20%, the bottom 20%, and the middle 30, 20%. How do they how do they learn differently? So I mean that's how I kind of like looked at the differences in how people learn. And when you did all that research, did you find any common mistakes that people were were encountering? The number one challenge that people always say is I have no time for learning and I'm not consistent in my learning. And when we delve deeper into that, right, it's number one, it's because we're not clear about what we really want to learn. And sometimes even when we are clear what we want to learn, we are not clear how we want to learn. So, so they take learning as, hmm, I just attend a workshop, you know. So, it, so I think that's a common mistake. So instead of taking, you know, steering our learning process, our learning journey, we just go attend a workshop. So then what happens after the workshop? So that's a big question mark. I was talking to somebody recently about that the company gave them a certificate for attending the workshop but it had nothing to do with whether they'd actually learnt anything. There was no measure of their increased skill or productivity or whatever. It was just, if you've been to the workshop, you get the certificate. And that's, you don't learn from osmosis. Just being there doesn't mean to say that suddenly you have become a better anthropologist or, or, or leader or whatever. Yeah, totally. Point taken, point taken. So I totally agree with you. And uh, so in my, in my organization, the Flame Center, we help professionals and uh, organizations create their futures towards wholeness, right? So we help them grow meaningfully. And so one of our niche area is uh, career coaching. So after people attend this one-day career coaching workshop, they are tasked to uh, to actually have career conversations with their employees, with their team members. And then we survey the team members to ask, you know, how was the career conversation with your boss? Was it helpful? What was helpful? Uh, what did you learn? Uh, what did your manager do that was uh, helpful to you? And any suggestions for the manager? 
So everybody, you know, have the career conversation. They get the feedback from the from the staff, and then we bring them back about three weeks later in what we call an integration session. It's only for like a, a two hours, and in these two hours, they basically share about three questions. It's、uh, how have I applied? What were the little success? So in in this question. Uh, they will realize that wow, actually, really everybody did apply. You know, it's like sometimes it's a bit unbelievable, and then and then those who didn't apply, then they'll be a little bit sheepish, you know, because so that's you know increases accountability for learning and application. Then the second question that we get them to think about is what were their challenges. So so then you know they yeah they they in talking about their challenges we then、uh, discuss how do we. How do we address these challenges? It could be that you know my staff doesn't know what they want in their careers.、Uh, it could be that、um, my staff keeps postponing the meeting as if it's not a priority for them. So then we come together to to brainstorm on these、uh, these challenges, or we like role play on the the more challenging career conversations. And then the third question is: we then ask them, what did you learn? And more importantly, is what did you learn about yourself? Yeah, because I think in this we're not just learning a skill. We are really in in learning. My belief is that we are actually helping people to evolve their identity, to evolve their sense of who they are. From me just being a technical person to me, wow, as a manager who can who can have these uh, these uh, softer conversations. So one of the、uh, managers said that what I learned about myself is that I tend to only talk about work. What I learned about myself is I talk too much. <laughs> so, so I think in asking them these questions, it helps them to shift their mind a little bit about how they see themselves. You mentioned the Flame Center. Is that the company that you founded? Yes, it is. Would you like to give the Flame Center a quick plug about what what it does and the success that you have? Sure. So in Flame Center, what we what we seek to do is to help people grow meaningfully in these times of disruptions, and we specialize in uniquely human capabilities, skills that cannot be replaced by ChatGPT, by automation or algorithm. So we focus on these human skills, which. Are the are the people skills? How to engage people? How to have、uh, career conversations? How to partner?、Um, how and, and how to have like these difficult conversations? These are all people skills. And the other umbrella that we focus on is、uh, thinking skills, which I think is really important.、Uh, thinking skills in terms of making judgment,、uh, making decisions, seeing the the big systems or、so、systems thinking. For example, when we when we、uh, use ChatGPT, put in a prompt and the answers come up. I think that it takes quite a bit of human judgment to pick out what is what is useful, what is unique, what is what is good to use, and what is not. Yeah. So so these are the human skills that we help people in the people skills and the thinking skills. You've mentioned ChatGPT, artificial intelligence is. Changing the way that we work, that we're productive. I mean, I have to admit that I use it every day, and I think it's great. I think it's a whole new tool that we have to be able to to do whatever we we want to do. 
How do you see the future of learning and the skills that are becoming more important, or even new skills that we didn't need 10 years ago that we will need in 10 years' time? I mean, I think in Singapore, we are very concerned about skills, you know, because Singapore, we own the, the key resource we have、uh, is human capital. Right, and an organization or even a nation is only as good as its collective skills. Yeah, so I think the skills that will become increasingly important are these, like the,、uh, so the on on the technical side, the the tech skills, the、um, digital fluency, being the fluency to be comfortable with different technologies, to pick up different technologies. Ah,、uh, we don't need to learn like necessarily the technical part of it, but just. Being comfortable to play around with it,、um, and then the other one is about data. There's a lot of talk about data and understanding data and insights.、Uh, so these are the more、uh, technical type of skills. We also have skills around sustainability, what we call the green skills,、uh, skills that help us understand、um, our role in the in in creating a a more sustainable world for the future.、Um, And I think then the 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 last group of skills is around what what I've just mentioned around the people skills, yeah, the thinking skills, the the people skills, and even learning agility, like learning how to learn.、Um, learning how to learn is a meta skill, right? It's a skill that helps us to learn other skills. When you work with people, people come to you. How do they feel about the? The the situation. Do you think people are are positive that they're relieved that that this is happening, or do you feel that there's a certain that people are, are, are pessimistic on an emotional level? How do they relate to this situation? Wow, that is such a important question, and I think it's also varies a lot. It depends on like which. Camp you are in, or what kind of background and expertise you have. People who are new in their career, the young graduates, right? They would have learned many skills in in their in their university and that the in their courses.、Um, so in some sense, they are so called ready for the future. And yet, at the on on the other hand, there's so much changes, so much disruptions. They have another forty years to go. In some ways, that is is quite anxiety provoking,、um, because you never know like what it's like. Life is like a box of chocolate; you never know what you're gonna get. <laughs> so the need for agility, for flexibility, adaptability, all these are are key. So I think young people, while they have a lot of opportunities, that it there's also some level of anxiety, and I, I think people. In the middle of their career, you're kind of like neither here nor there. You have you have like ten, twenty years of experience, but you've got we've got another ten, twenty more years to go, and and these people are very likely the the T professional that we spoke about, people with one area of expertise and needing to develop multiple areas. So and and I think these people are also more susceptible to being retrenched. Um, because they they have they have higher pay than the young graduates,、um, and 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 it's also harder for them to find roles after they've been retrenched because they're usually more senior and there are fewer positions up there, right? 
So, so I think this group of people is also at risk and probably, yeah, some anxiety, some, yeah. So I think that's on the, these two groups of people that I see. Um, and yet there are also people in their 60s who are actually, I mean, by traditional terms, ready to retire. But at the same time, because we have a longer lifespan, um, we can't just like retire and do nothing. So how do we, how do these people engage themselves productively, meaningfully? You know, you can only play golf so many times or so many days after retirement, <laughs> or you can only travel like to how many countries? And after you, you got to one, you probably want to be engaged meaningfully if we've got like a longer, you know, a longer lifespan as well. So, uh, and also probably a practical need to, uh, to provide for ourselves for a longer time. So I think this group of people also looking for like, how, how do we upskill and stay relevant and contribute? Now, in, in a minute, I would like to talk about this business of staying relevant, of our personal well-being as we get older and head towards retirement. But as we're about halfway through the show, it's time for the Learnability Quiz which is my opportunity to put my guest on the spot with three questions about whatever subject that I have chosen for the show. To be honest, I'm getting a little bit tired of asking questions about learning and, and development, that sort of thing. And so my topic for today's learnability quiz is actually something which you know a lot more about than me, which is Singapore. Sure. So here are three quick questions for, for our listeners and for yourself about Singapore, all right? Okay, so question number one. The, on the 9th of August every year, you celebrate Singapore's independence. What year did Singapore become independent and who from? Oh my gosh, I think it's either 1968 or 1969. <laughs> Yeah, do you want to have another guess? <laughs> oh, no, 1965? Third time lucky, I'll give you that. Singapore is actually as old as I am. We both gained our independence in 1965. Oh, thank you for giving me three tries. <laughs> right, question number two. Singapore has a nickname. It has a nickname which refers to its very small size compared to the other nations around it. What is Singapore's nickname? Little Red Dot. The Little Red Dot. Excellent. For 10 points. No hesitation there whatsoever. And then the third quick question is, Singapore has an iconic statue known as the Malayan Statue which has the head of a lion and the body of a fish. And it represents Singapore's original name, which I understand is Singapura, mm -hmm. if I'm pronouncing that right. Yeah. What does Singapura mean? Hmm. Singa is a lion. Uh, so the Malayan prince that set foot on Singapore when he landed on Singapore, he saw a, a lion 
So he, he named it Singa, this lion. Pura is city, lion city. Perfect for 10 points, lion city. <laughs> right. Well done. Congratulations. 30 points there. Right. What's my prize, Ian? Your prize is the satisfaction of getting 30 points on the learnability quiz. <laughs> right. yeah. Now, let's go back to learning and the future. I know that a lot of the work that you do is about mental health and personal well-being, as well as learning. In fact, the title of your book that you have published at the moment is Wholeness in a distractive world what are the key messages that you have for people to to achieve wholeness thank you for the question um i use the abc pathways towards wholeness and uh, maybe i should define wholeness as well i define wholeness as a sense of completeness and balance within ourselves and the world around us. Yeah. And to achieve this sense of wholeness are these ABC pathways. A is like anchoring, like a tree anchoring because of its roots, so that even when there's a hurricane, the tree can still, still stay intact. So in a similar way, in the hurricane, the disruption of life, what's our anchor? So that could be our sense of purpose, our, our sense of identity, our sense of responsibility or our values. So A is about anchoring and B is about balancing. And balancing is the, is the idea that we want to acknowledge the opposites, the polarities in ideas. So for example, uh, you know, now I'm 100% with you at work. In a few hours time, I will be 100% with my family. So we all want 100 of our careers and 100 of our personal lives, right? Nobody wants 50-50, <laughs> right? So, so the whole idea of balancing is the dynamic balance of going across polarities, 100 on uh, career and 100 on our personal life. So flowing across um, opposites over time is my definition of is the, is about balancing. Uh, so this idea about balancing is not just about work and family, but it's also the larger picture about um, balancing strategy and implementation, right? balancing task focus and relationship focus, balancing giving and taking. So the, the opposite of ideas coming together. Um, and the third is uh, C, uh, clearing. Right? The idea of clearing is is important because in today's world, our minds are so full, full of ideas, full of you know what we need to do, right? And we're always you know engaged, right? And the idea of clearing is to clear our mind, to empty out, just like uh, a luggage, a luggage bag is only useful if the if it's empty, right? So that we can put things in. Right, or a room is only useful if it's empty so that we can you know keep what's important. So the idea of C clearing is to is to empty out so that you know we have new insights, new ideas, new wisdom to carry us forward. In Spain, 
we have a wonderful expression which in English is in the blacksmith's house the cutlery is made of wood mm. and what it means is it refers to this observation that for instance all doctors smoke or all psychologists are completely mad or all marriage counselors are divorced for yourself with what we've spoken about uh, skill development or about wholeness do you apply this to your own life or is it something that other people do <laughs> i'm curious what do you think <laughs> i i have an open mind <laughs> <laughs> yeah um to be honest i think that you know we think of uh, of authors as the experts uh, who know about the topic right authors having authority but i think that authors are actually seekers authors are finding out the answers to these questions so the reason why i wrote the book on wholeness was because i was you know experiencing a fragmented life and I was, yeah, I was, I had a near-death experience. Um, I was in ICU for about five days, not knowing how my life will pan out. So, so, so that is in my recovery, that, that search or that journey towards wholeness. So that's how I, you know, researched and, and yeah, wrote the book around on wholeness. And I think on learning in the last, uh, uh, maybe, yeah, I could think of it this way. So I have been a typical tea professional, right? My, 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 uh, my, down, my area of expertise is in consulting and organization development. And so then when I, when I did my PhD, um, I was uh, a researcher. And uh, in the last few years, I also... Uh, was more intentional on building my business, my organization, uh, building the ecosystem. So I was uh, more on the entrepreneurial journey. So in these shifts, I find that I needed to, to learn, like how, how do I uh, build my business uh, to complete my PhD uh, and take care of my three school-going kids uh, yeah, and do the work, be the practitioner at the same time, right? So, so all that require, you know, these learning strategies. So I think what was really inspiring in this uh, research journey is to, is to learn from, from the people who have, who, who have made these career transitions and to learn from them how they are agile in their learning. And I think that helped me in my own journey. I know that you do a fair amount of public speaking. When you do your your talks, what are the key messages that you deliver and what is some of the feedback that you get from people afterwards? Um, well, people ask me to uh, talk about the ideas on wholeness and uh, and that's because the organizations are going through a lot of changes and people are feeling challenged. So when I talk about these ABCs, Pahot's Homes, I, I, I share with them these simple ideas. I mean, ABC is as simple as it can get, right? 
and practical ideas on what they can do so that they can also uh, have the experience of wholeness in their own lives. Yeah, so I think these are the, yeah, the, the feedback that I've got from the audience is that they are practical, they are easy to use, easy to remember, and something that, you know, just helps them to land on what they can do to have wholeness in their lives. So that's around uh, wholeness. And, uh, and when I get uh, keynote requests on uh, to share my research findings, yeah, and I think I think what I, um, I help people think differently about learning. So, so for example, in the learning, learning space, we all, we use the term like 70, 20, 10. Yeah. 70, 20, 10 as the 70 on experience, 20 on exposure and 10 on education. As learning professionals, we use these 70, 20, 10 as a way to guide development. Yeah, but in my research, I realized that actually 70, 20, 10 is not enough. All inputs to our learning, uh, experiences and input to our learning, uh, talking to experts or coaches is an input to our learning, and then education, attending courses is an input to our learning. But all of these inputs will come to nothing if there is no reflection. So the... In 70, 2010, there's nothing on reflection, but reflection is key to our transformation because it's in reflection that we change our mind, that we challenge our assumptions about ourselves, about the topic. It's in reflection that we decide to do something differently. So all learning is evidenced on new skills, new behaviors, new ways of thinking. But all of these things cannot happen without reflection. So, so that's why I think, I mean, from the, I mean, just, you know, down on me in my research journey that 70, 20, 10 is insufficient. Um, the other learning point that I, that I think I deliver is, uh, okay, let me, can I quiz you now? Yeah, sure. <laughs> You're the first guest that I've had that's actually quizzed me about the subject. So this is, this is oh, great. Well, I think of it this way. I'm a researcher, right? So I'm always gathering data. Yeah, so I'm, I'm interested in what people think. So we know that uh, we know that environment is key for learning. So in the in the organizations, environment is the workplace. So in the environment, these are four factors that influences people learning. One is a job, that job, right? The job is a challenging job. Uh, it, it gets them to learn new skills, right? So the job is challenging. The second factor is the manager. Right, the manager is supportive. Is also nurtures and uh, guides the the staff's learning. Third is my teammates. My teammates, we share learning resources. They give feedback uh, proactively, and they talk, talk and discuss ideas together. So that's a source of learning. And the fourth one is the organization culture and resources. So I can go for training. You know, the the culture of the organization is very open to learning. Uh, and I have, um, you know, I have like access to data, like how the organization is doing so that uh, I understand the big picture and how that connects to my learning. So these four factors, right, um, a learning rich job, a challenging manager, a team that learns together and the organization culture and resources. 
So these four factors, which do you think is the most important predictor for learning? Okay. One, one of the things that I do, I run learning clubs in companies, which are small groups of people, uh, four people, ideally, that get together and set themselves regular challenges, regular learning challenges, uh, and then give reports and feedback and provide motivation and uh, accountability for pushing forward with that. And they work very, very well. So I'm going to give the answer that the most important thing, at least from my experience, is having a team of people that support you and who are doing something similar. Because if you have that motivation and feel that you are part of a, a team that's making progress, then that is more important than having a company that's interested in learning or having a boss that, that it supports what you're doing. It's having that team that are there to keep your motivation going when things are getting very difficult and frustrating. Mm. Wow, that's great. I love your idea of learning clubs. And I think it's certainly very important, very useful um, for, for organizations, for professionals to be part of a learning club. Yeah, so I was also like in a mastermind group and that helped my uh, transition um, to as, as an entrepreneur. Um, okay, so that's great. Uh, so so my, my research shows that uh, all of these factors have a positive correlation to learning outcomes, uh, but the one that is predictive uh, or the most important factor actually is around the, the learning-rich job. So because our job requires us to uh, learn new skills to be successful, uh, puts us out, out of our comfort zone, and, uh, and we have to learn in order to be successful, then uh, in the, on that premise, on that premise, then uh, the manager comes in to support my learning and having the team help me to be successful in this challenging job makes good sense. And, you know, makes good sense to invest time into, in the learning club uh, or the team to, uh, to support my learning so that I can be successful in my job. So, so having a, that learning rich job is a key factor. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Anything that gets you out of your comfort zone where you're having to stretch yourself and, and try things which you find difficult or uncomfortable is a, a great learning process. Yeah, and I think with, with that, that playground, the idea of the playground, then that having a, a learning club really is, uh, can be really very helpful to, to support the person towards success. I find that one of the things which stops people from learning is this barrier that they meet when they do it badly. For instance, I'm, I'm playing the guitar and I'm rubbish. I've been just doing it for a, a week, a week and a half, and I can't play a single tune decently. And somebody in my situation might say, oh, I've tried to play the guitar, but I'm rubbish at it, so I'm, I'm not going to continue. And they get demotivated. Whereas I recognize completely that you have to be rubbish at something when you start. 
you have to be a bad leader at the beginning because it's part of the ladder of learning you can't go from zero to ten in one jump and so i find that one of the things about the learning clubs is this motivation you get from the rest of the team that give you an applause for starting off and being rubbish and so you know you're trying it and that's the most important thing that's great that's great yeah let's get your learning club to support you for your guitar competition <laughs> i will mention that i will mention that in my next session <laughs> great now we're coming to the up to the end of the in interview so um a couple of things the first thing is if anybody wanted to find out more information about yourself, your books, the work that you do, the Flame Center, etc., where can they contact you? Uh, they can find me on the Flame Center website, www.flamecenter.com, and center is C E N T R E. Yeah, just knowing that center is spelled differently in different parts of the world. And then yeah, and LinkedIn to find me on LinkedIn. I think it's a it's a it's a good place to connect on LinkedIn. I will put those two links in the show notes then. Now, just a couple of questions to finish off. I know that you've got a second book in the pipeline coming up. Would you like you got a big smile on your face? Would you like to give us a little bit of explanation about what your next book is going to be and why the reader should think about buying it? Thank you for the question. Um, so the next book is about learning, learning agility. And I, I help people to look at how they can increase their learning productivity uh, through their motivation, right? Looking at their purpose in learning um, through their uh, attitudes. Yeah, so just now what you talked about, you know, people giving up because they think that they're rubbish. So that's about their attitudes towards uh, learning and to be proactive. And three is about uh, our process to master learning how to learn, to hone our meta learning skills and to have a suite of um, learning strategies. And then fourth is in creating the environment to support our learning. And what's the title of the book? I haven't quite decided to be honest, but I, <laughs> I think it's something on learn. I think it maybe is working title. Working title is learning agility in a disruptive world. Learning agility in a destructive world. Okay. I'll keep an eye out for that. Right. Mm. And then final question. If you have one key message that you would like the listener to take away from this interview, and to apply in their lives, what would that key message be? It will be to learn how to learn, to learn about how do we put together, weave together our learning strategies that comprises of a few activities coming together so that we go further when we are motivated or inspired to learn something to put together our learning strategy first so that we set up the handrails to support us, so to get us through even when our motivation is low. Thank you very much. Congratulations on your PhD. Congratulations on your book. And I look forward to being in touch. Thank you. Thank you, Ian. It's a real pleasure. Yeah.
Thank you for listening to this episode right to the end. If you are at all interested in finding out more about what I do with learnability, with learning clubs, or how I can help grow the learning culture of your organization, then please get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on my website, iangibbs.me. The details are in the show notes. Thank you very much. Have a great day and keep learning.